Do you want to know the number one phrase that I hate in EMS education? BSI, is my scene safe? For heaven's sakes, folks, why are we asking, is my scene safe? You need to be able to determine if your scene is safe. And secondly, do we just say BSI and automatically we're covered under all of our body substance isolation protection equipment? Or do we need to actually be thinking about I'm number one? Do we need to actually be our own creators of our patient assessments and take ownership of providing excellent patient care to the patients we treat in the world of EMS? Because as Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. It doesn't matter if you can say, BSI, is my scene safe? It doesn't matter if you can start the most wonderful IV in the world or that you can bag a patient one breath every six seconds, but they will remember how you made them feel on that call. Some of you have probably been wondering, why is Brush Up on EMS called Brush Up on EMS with Bob? Well, I'll tell you, one of my favorite heroes slash visionaries in this world was Bob Ross. And we all remember spending those afternoon lunch hours as either kids or adults sat down in front of that humongous screen, at least to our perspective, to watch the patron saint of nap time, the Bob Ross. Bob Ross created for himself one of the greatest personas I have ever known. He knew the basic skills of painting, and he also adapted those skills to meet his personality. Bob was great at using his own sayings to show what he really meant. One of those that sticks in my mind is his famous saying that he was using while he was cleaning his paintbrush. You've got to beat the devil out of it, he would say. But he wouldn't say it so loud. He wouldn't say it with gusto. He would just say, you just got to beat the devil out of it. And we would just hear the sounds echoing off his easel that was holding his canvas of that paintbrush hitting that easel. Not many painters might say that, but that was Bob Ross's own saying that he developed. When it comes to EMS, we have our own art form because it is one of the medical arts. The art form I'm referring to is patient assessment. Patient assessment is at the very least an art form because we have to be able to develop our own way of treating patients and we have to develop our own way of assessing them. Some of us can draw stick figures. Others of us, like Leonardo da Vinci, can paint the Mona Lisa when it comes to assessing the sick or wounded in EMS We have to develop our own skills. Patient assessment, as you hear from your EMS educators, must follow the sheet from top to bottom. You must follow it from top to bottom, and once you complete it, uh, go ahead and say, I am done, and your time will stop. The problem is, we're teaching students to repeat phrases that they don't even understand. We use acronyms that we hold up on a pedestal. It's almost like when you take an EMT class, you've won the golden ticket, and now you can fully understand what's behind that Wizard of Oz curtain. And we hold these acronyms like these students understand them. But to be one of us in EMS, you must memorize the absurd acronyms that may work for only pain, OPQRSTI. Or that you can't remember from class like something for a radio report, DAG C Peter. These holier-than-thou acronyms are a struggle for a lot of students to learn, and they spend a good part of the class time studying these phrases. Instead, I believe 
we should be teaching them how to communicate with patients and being a good historian. We need to be teaching students in this field of EMS and the classroom like Bob Ross did. We need to have a calm, compassionate voice that pierces the darkness and gives them the basic tools to succeed in communicating with any patient they come across. As Bob Ross said, it's your world, create it how you like it. If you want a tree, place a tree there. Too many times we tell people they must get a set of vitals at this point in the assessment no sooner or later. However, pre-hospital practitioners are obtaining vitals as soon as they arrive on scene. Is this a bad practice? By no means. We need to change in the mindset in the world of EMS education, and we need to get away from teaching to the book. And we need to get away from the examples of teaching to the book that is your patient alert and orientated. The gold standard is they must ask four questions. Okay, but what four questions do they need to ask? Now, if you ask the following questions, you might be right out of EMT class today. All you have to do is one thing, and one thing only. Subscribe to Brush Up on EMS, and stay up on all the information on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and podcasts. Like, subscribe, and share all of the information, and follow our podcast. You can find the podcast on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Now let's get back to the regular programming. Welcome back to Brush Up on EMS. I'm Bob, your colorful host. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you're new to this podcast, this is where I challenge common thought in EMS. If you're one of my faithful listeners, thank you for your continued support, and thanks for coming back for this podcast time after time. Now, let's challenge some common thought on patient assessment. What is your name? What is today? Where are we at? What is going on today? Now, if you've been in EMS for a while, you may ask the following questions just based on your preference. Remember, you're in your own world. You've been out of class. You've created your own canvas as Bob Ross did. You got the basic tools in class, but you have adapted your own questions and you know the answers to. You realize that some of those questions, what is your name, what is today, where are we at, and what is going on today, doesn't always work for every single patient. Maybe you have seen success with these four questions. Great. But from these questions, you can determine if a zombie is alert and oriented times four. Or if your grandmother is out of her mind. So what am I going to give you is some basic points to improving, enhancing, and maintaining your patient assessment in the pre-hospital field. Because not every EMS educator out there is making sure that you understand these concepts. Because you don't always have to ask, what is your name? What is today? Where are we at? What is going on today? For heaven's sakes, you could ask, how many quarters are in a dollar? Do you know the answer to that? Absolutely. Everyone should know the answer to that. And if you know the answer to how many quarters are in a dollar, then you can accurately obtain if this patient is alert and orientated. How many questions do we have to ask to determine if they're alert and orientated? Enough that we feel comfortable as EMS practitioners that this patient is presenting normal because we just met them two minutes ago. So, what do we need to do? What do we need to change? How do we need to improve? Well, number one, scene size up doesn't start and stop after arriving on scene. A lot of people believe that scene size up starts and stops after arriving on scene because that's how the way we teach it in EMT class, how we teach it in AEMT class, and how we teach it in paramedic class. The students stop focusing on, is my scene safe? Because all they know is BSI, is my scene safe? But the question I want to know is, do you really know if your scene is safe or are you relying on someone else to make that decision for you? 
when you approach the scene and enter with a safety mindset, that will continue throughout the call. Are you mindful of that child crying in the back room while you're talking and caring for the sick mother in the front room who's all by herself? Are you mindful of the guns, knives, and cocaine, oh my, that could be near the patient and watching for that crime scene and not walking right through it? No, you're not. No, you're not. Because what were you taught? BSI is my scene safe, and it stopped right as you got to the door and you determined that you thought that the scene was safe. But if you change, you can get better. And that's why it's okay if you suck, because if you recognize it, you can get better. Possibly, you may have never looked in Granny's refrigerator and realized she was eating cat food because it was a two-for-one sale at the local Walmarts, and now she's eating one of those cat foods for herself and the other one for her cat, and she's wondering why she's having issues. Scene size-up doesn't stop until you get back to the station. Number two, a good history today may save your patient's life tomorrow. OPQRSTI STI only works for pain. You can adapt for other problems going on and you can look for associated signs and symptoms with your working diagnosis. But how do we come up with a working diagnosis and not have tunnel vision? You have to come up with what I believe at least, and remember I said at least three possible scenarios. You get dispatched out for chest pain and you go to the call And as you're going to the call, talk to your partner. What is the worst case scenario that we're walking in on? What is the best case scenario we're walking in on? And then what is our intermediate case we're going to deal with? Coming up with a problem list and then developing a plan based on your problem list is going to help you with that working diagnosis. So we're walking in on chest pain. What's worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is we possibly have an acute myocardial infarction with ST elevation. We need to rapidly transport this person to the hospital, get them flown out of here, or get them to the level one trauma center so that they can get the care that they need. Best case scenario, they've got acid reflux, and we don't have to transport them today, but we can do some patient education. But what's that intermediate case that might catch you off guard? What's that case that you didn't think about? Because sometimes we get in a two-track mind that we either think this is the worst case we're ever going to deal with, and this is the best case. And depending on your mood for the day... Are you wanting to deal with a refusal? Are you wanting to deal with a transport? Are you wanting to transport the patient and practice your skills? Or are you tired and wanting to get back to the station and want to get a refusal? I can get a refusal out of a monkey if I really want to. Because I can convince that monkey that they don't need to go to the hospital. But that's not what we got into this profession to do. Convince monkeys that they didn't need to go to the hospital. We got into this profession to take care of people and have compassion. So, when you do this differential diagnosis... You may have to add possibilities and subtract ones as you progress through it. All in all, remember that what they tell you is most likely what's going on. Ding, 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 we have a winner. Let me repeat that. All in all, remember what the patient tells you because that's most likely what is going on. You walk in the house, you say, sir, I, I, you're having chest pain. Can you tell me where your chest hurts? I'm not having chest pain. I'm having trouble breathing. Well, don't stay in the path of chest pain, dummy. If they're telling you they have shortness of breath, if they can't breathe, the patient is the best caregiver. They don't have medical training like we do. To take care of their issue or identify the critical nature of the problem, they have to just guess on how they're feeling. And they're going to tell you how they're feeling. So remember, as Peter Parker's uncle told him, With great power comes great responsibility. So if a patient tells you something you think is important in their history, then pass it along. It could be the difference of them living or not. 
sometimes we only hear one phrase and that phrase is only repeated once. And we're going to need to repeat that phrase to the medical practitioners at the hospital when we drop off that patient. We're going to need to get a good history. We need to make sure that we're getting our signs and symptoms, our allergies, medications, passport, and history, last oral intake, and events leading up to. Oh, crap. There's one of those acronyms again. I'm not saying that acronyms are bad. They help us remember things. But what we need to realize is that we need to get a good history today so that we may save a patient's life tomorrow. And then when it comes to delivering those medications after we've asked for allergies, number three, we need to always, always, always ask for allergies before giving a medication. Never ever assume that a patient doesn't know what they are talking about or that most people are not allergic to this medication. Complacency kills. Even when administering such drugs as Zofran, Aspirin, or Benadryl, ask for allergies. I can remember a certain time when I was running a chest pain call uh, at a previous service, and I ran into the nursing home with my uh, company in tow. We got in there, me and my crew, and I started asking the patient questions, trying to obtain that good history so I could save the patient's life for tomorrow. They could still see their family when the family came to visit. And I asked them all those good questions, you know, about your chest pain. Where does it hurt? How does it hurt? Can you describe it for me? Qualify it for me? On a scale of 0 to 27. Just kidding. 0 to 10. How does your chest pain feel? And then, of course, as a robot, I pulled out aspirin, about to give it, forgot to ask about allergies. While I was pulling it out, my partner saved my butt. Asked, do you have any allergies, ma'am? She said, yes, I do. And I'll never forget this because she told me that her allergies were to aspirin. And what I was pulling out of that medication bag was four 81 milligram tablets of aspirin. And I was about ready to administer it to this patient. Just because we have medications, people can still have bad reactions to these medications. Always be that advocate for your patient and always, always, always ask for allergies before giving a medication. Number four, the final one. When you're doing your patient assessment and you create it your own way, please, please, please use their name. Remember the patient's name. Too many times we show up on scene and we start taking care of someone. And it isn't till we're showing up at the hospital and the nurse asks the patient's name, we have this dumbfounded look upon our face because we never asked the patient's name. Even worse, we asked their name and we forgot it. If you're not good at remembering, like I am, write it down. For heaven's sakes, write down the patient's name. You will create so much rapport with your patient just by remembering their God-given name. When I walk in on a patient and I introduce myself to them, I give them my hand, I shake their hand, and I say, Hi, my name is Bob. What's going on today? And as I'm doing that, I also have my hand on top, giving them that comfort that I have them and they're secure. While I'm doing that, I'm also holding their pulse, to check their pulse if it feels fast or slow. I'm knocking out those airway, breathing, circulation, deformity, exposure, life threats, getting prepared to rapidly transport this patient because we need to get those knocked out in the first minute being on scene. But how does this all deal with Bob Ross? 
because we need to be the own creators of our canvas. We need to be the own creators of our patient assessment. Yes, you are taught in class a system for patient assessment. You need to develop your own system for patient assessment that makes sense to you. Yes, you still need to deal with scene size up at the beginning and not let scene safety stop at just the door. You need to make sure that you also go through all the primary assessment of preventing life threats. You also need to make sure that you have that transport decision and you're ready to get this patient transported and you're not spending a whole heck of a lot of time on scene. Do your secondary assessment and get that adequate history. And then when you're doing your reassessment and you're arriving at the hospital after you checked all the allergies with the patient, make sure you remember their name, at least for using it at the hospital. Because Bob Ross would say, maybe in our world there lives a happy little tree over there. You may have a few more clouds in your patient assessment than someone else does. And that's okay. It's okay to have that. Because each patient assessment is unique, but everyone was given the basic concept of providing excellent patient care and compassion to the people in this world. How you choose to paint your clouds or place your trees is up to you. Just remember, we are the advocates of our patients. They depend on us to provide top-notch pre-hospital care. And another great quote to finish out this podcast. Maya Angelou said, Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And that goes back to the previous podcast that we had a couple weeks ago talking about it's okay to suck. Thanks for listening to Brush Up on EMS. I'm Bob, your colorful host. And as always, it's been a pleasure challenging common thought on EMS practices and today talking about patient assessment. I hope you're staying safe out there. Uh, If you're getting into the fall season and starting to get a little chilly, stay warm. Love the ones you're with. And until next time, always, always, always challenge common thought. And for heaven's sakes, remember your patients' names.